0: Hello and welcome to the Northgate Podcast, where we aim to bring people closer to Christ, build them up, and empower them to go out into the world and make a positive impact. With our inspiring content and engaging discussions, this podcast serves as a beacon of hope and spiritual growth for all its listeners. The purpose of the Northgate Podcast can be summed up by our mission, to bring people to Christ, build them up in that relationship, and send them out. This motto encapsulates our dedication to help individuals discover the transformative power of Christ's love, nurture their faith, and develop a strong foundation in their spiritual journey. Now, here is today's message.
1: Good morning, Church. Wow, we could go home right now. We have worshiped. We have worship this morning. We're not going to. I have a message. I'm going to bring it to you, okay? But, uh, but man, it's so good to be with you. I love worshiping with you, uh, you know. Um, it is just, it's just good to be together, loving the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. Um, it's interesting. We are we are in the book of Hebrews, and we're going to be wrapping this series up over the next couple of weeks, and uh, and then we're right into our Advent series. But uh, I was I was just struck by this. It happens. It's happened before a few times. Um, you know, we plan our sermon series like a year in advance. In fact, we just had our preaching meeting for the next year. And we always leave God room to, to mix that up. If he wants to do something different during the course of the year, we will change that. Um, but we like to get ahead and be thinking and praying about you know, the messages that are coming. I'm preaching out of Hebrews 10 this week. Guess what I read on Thursday in my, in my daily Bible reading schedule that I also picked out without thinking about the sermon series? Thursday was Hebrews 10. I love when God brings together uh, the things that we're doing here and the things that I'm doing in my devotional time. And in addition to that, uh, Becca told me last night that in the children's wing, uh, the verse for their uh, month is right out of Hebrews 10. So um, God has brought this together, I think, in a very special way uh, for us. But uh, anyway... We are in this series in Hebrews. It's not one of the easiest books of the Bible to understand. It really will reward multiple readings. Um, Probably not one after another, but read it, think about it, pray about it, you know, come back to it. Partly because most of us, I don't know if anyone here, grew up as Jewish and became Christian. And even if you did, you didn't grow up in the time of the temple. And uh, to really understand Hebrews and, and uh, you know, all that it says, there are so many allusions in Hebrews to Old Testament, to the Jewish rituals. And we're gonna be talking about some of that today. So it does take some thinking on our part and some familiarity with the Old Testament. We are not, you know, there's some church, I gotta be careful, I could get off on this in tangent, but we are not, as some churches are, New Testament only Christians. Right, We believe in the entirety of the Bible. Everything in the Bible speaks to us. So we study the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. In fact, that's part of our preaching planning is to always do something from the Old Testament, something from the Gospels and the New Testament. So um, you you need to be familiar with the Old Testament in order to understand a lot of what the author of Hebrews is saying. But I'm gonna bring some of that out today. And and hopefully as you're reading and studying on your own, you see it as well. Really, the the message of Hebrews is the message of the whole Bible, which is that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything God was doing before Jesus came. Jesus fulfilled everything that God was, was up to in Old Testament times. And that the most important thing for us to know is that through Christ, we can have a personal relationship with God. And that's what Hebrews is about, it's what the Bible is about. Um, it's like Jesus uh, you know, said to his, some of his uh, detractors in John chapter five, he says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. You see, he was talking to some people who said, you know, we're going we're gonna to find out what, you know, God has. For us. And when he says scriptures, of course, he means Old Testament, what to us would be Old Testament scriptures. He says, you study them diligently, looking for the, the clues and the keys to eternal life. But they're all talking about me. I'm right here in front of you, and you're dismissing me. They're pointing to me. Look to me, is what Jesus is saying to them. And he said the same thing to the men who were on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection. You may remember this in Luke chapter 24. There's some men, they're walking to Emmaus, and they're thinking about everything that has just happened, the death of Christ on the cross, this report of his resurrection, and they're trying to figure out what it all means, and Jesus suddenly appears with them, and uh, and His he talks to them, he says to them, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. See, again, he's saying everything in the Old everything that you've been studying and thinking about, it's all been leading up to me. And you need to, to look away from that uh, and, and look to me, not dismiss that, but, but recognize that, that it was all pointing to me. In fact, John Piper, uh, a scholar, a uh, preacher I really appreciate, he calls the entire Old Testament record, and I love this phrase, the age of shadows, the age of shadows. And Jesus, he says, is the one casting the shadow. You see, we can get enamored with the shadow. In fact, I took my uh, title of the sermon from, uh, from that and from the first verse of Hebrews chapter 10, leave the shadows behind and embrace the reality. Leave the shadows behind, embrace the reality. We can get enamored of the shadow. We can put too much focus on the shadows and, and forget that they are pointing to a greater reality. So if, if, I, if I saw your shadow before I saw you, and I started speaking to it and have, you know, trying to hold a conversation with your shadow, you would have, Legitimate reason to question if I was in my right mind, right? If I was okay, because we all know that the shadow is not the reality, right? The shadow just points to a reality. I I shared this with you, uh, I think earlier this year, but it's such a good illustration, I just need to share it with you again. I think I'm still getting over the trauma. Actually, I was running down Lyman Road, uh, because you know, I run, I was running down Lyman Road earlier this year, beautiful sunny day, it was about midday, and um, and I saw uh, this sh- these shadows as I'm running. Uh, as I'm running, I see these shadows of things circling, circling right around me, okay? And and I looked at it and I thought, well, that's odd. Of course, I knew what it was. And I, I glanced up and I saw, uh, so I think there were vultures of some kind just circling, okay, over me, <laughs> okay, over me. But, and that's, not, but worse, as I continued to run, the shadow continued to circle over me. <laughs> so I began to think I think I'm somebody's dinner here, or they think I'm going to be dinner, right? It, it, it went on long enough. I probably about 40 seconds, you know, but it went on long enough that it really kind of unnerved me for a minute. Like, you know, what are you going to get away? Get away, go, you know, that kind of thing. Anyway, the shadow is not what alarmed me, right? It was the reality that the shadow pointed to. Well, this is what the author of Hebrews is going to be telling us in Hebrews chapter 10, that, that the Old Testament, all those scriptures, everything, it was all shadow. Now look to Jesus, okay? Don't keep focusing on the shadows. Look to Christ. So the main point today of the message is only Jesus offers us a way to have a clean conscience and a personal relationship with God. Don't turn away from that. Or maybe I should have better said, look to him, okay? Leave the shadow, look to him. So Pastor John last week preached a message from John chapter six. And uh, and I'm gonna be preaching mostly from John chapter 10, but I don't want you to think John, that, I'm sorry, Hebrews uh, chapter 10. I don't want you to think that Hebrews 7, 8, and 9 are irrelevant and have no importance, okay? They are important, but they all kind of speak to the same theme that the author of Hebrews has been telling us over and over and again. And and it's the, and it, that Jesus is superior to everything that has gone before. He is the fulfillment of everything that has gone before. In chapter 7 of Hebrews, the author talks about this mysterious priest named Melchizedek, who we come to learn about in, uh, in Genesis. Abraham has a meeting with this priest, Melchizedek. And uh, Melchizedek is mysterious for a number of reasons. He just kind of appears on the scene. He, we don't know anything about his, his uh, ancestry or what happens to him. It's one scene only and he's gone. Um, and, and so the author of Hebrews kind of uses the illustration of Melchizedek to say, you know, in, in that same mysterious way, as, as, as interesting as Melchizedek is, Jesus is, is the greater priest. And, and in particular, he's the greater high priest okay because the jews would have been very familiar with a high priest who would serve at the temple and he and he said jesus is a greater high priest just like he's a greater prophet and all that he's the greater high priest and then in chapter 8 the author uh, of hebrews takes that a little step farther and he says as high priest jesus brings in a greater covenant a better covenant Uh, a covenant is an agreement okay it's a binding agreement and God made a number of binding agreements with his people. He made a covenant with Abraham, made a covenant with David, with Moses, and he made a covenant with all of his people. But now he is bringing in a new covenant, a new binding agreement that that uh, he promises some things, but he also asks of us some things. He expects of us some things as well in this, in this covenant. And he says, Jesus is bringing in this better, covenant. And then in chapter 9, the author talks about the worship rituals performed at the temple and kind of makes the point again that Jesus is greater than all of those rituals. He, all those rituals were really pointing to Christ. And now in chapter 10, we're going to learn more about that. So let me go ahead and read from Hebrews chapter 10, starting with verse 1. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So he's talking about an Old Testament ritual and he's saying it was good to a point, but it was limited. And now Jesus is gonna be, is offering way more than what that could ever do. So my first point is religious rituals at best point to a reality that is much better. The phrase "the law" here could refer to a number of things, but in context, it it refers primarily to the Old Testament sacrifices. Again, this is where, if we were uh, grown up, if we had grown up Jewish and around the time of the temple, this would all be, of course, you know, we we get this, you know, immediately. But he's talking about those Old Testament sacrifices that were made at the temple, and in particular, he's talking about the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. Jews, Orthodox Jews, celebrated this just a month and a half ago or so, uh, late September. Yom Kippur. It's the Day of Atonement. One day a year, a very special day in the Jewish calendar, where the people would bring their sacrifice, or the the high priest would bring a sacrifice. I'm going to read what happens. uh, As a way of expressing the people's remorse over their sin and their desire to be forgiven. So I am gonna read uh, this. This is written by Ray Dillard, an Old Testament scholar. Um, You can read more about this in Leviticus 16 if you want to, but here's what would happen uh, around the Day of Atonement. A week beforehand, the high priest was put into seclusion, taken away from his home and into a place where he was completely alone. Why? So he wouldn't accidentally touch or eat anything unclean. Clean food was brought to him, and throughout the week he'd wash his body and prepare his heart. The night before the Day of Atonement, he didn't go to bed. He stayed up all night praying and reading God's word to purify his soul. Then on Yom Kippur, he bathed head to toe and dressed in pure unstained white linen. Then he went into the Holy of Holies and offered an animal sacrifice to God to atone or pay the penalty for his own sins. After that, he came out. And he bathed again from head to toe, and they dressed him in brand new pure linen. He put on a garment with stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel, showing that they were on his heart, and he was representing them. And he went into the Holy of Holies again and atoned for the sins of all the people. This was all done in public. The temple was crowded, and those in attendance watched closely. There was a thin screen, and he bathed behind it. But the people were present. They saw him bathe dress go in come back out he was their representative before god and they were there cheering him on excuse me <clears throat> they were very concerned to make sure that everything was done properly and with purity because he represented them before god now, there was a little more to the to the ceremonies on the Day of Atonement. Uh, one of the interesting things that they did was they took a live goat. Uh, they had two goats. One would be sacrificed for the offering, but the other goat, the priest would put his hands over the goat and confess over this goat all the sins of the people, the, the sins of the past year. And then that goat would be released into the wilderness. And the symbolism of that, the shadow of that, was that the sins of the people were, bur- were being carried out into the wilderness away from the community. Uh, I guess one of the things they got concerned about was that that goat might find its way back to the community with the sins of the people. So uh, I've read that eventually they began throwing that goat off a cliff in the wilderness, which unfortunate for the goat. But you get the symbolism, right? That, that, that the sins of the people are being carried away. For, we don't want this sinfulness in our community any longer. That was the, the symbolism of that act. This is a ritual. This Day of Atonement is done one time a year one time a year, the high priest would go into that Holy of Holies or the most holy place of the temple to, to make this offering uh, and to atone for the sins of the people. And then uh, they would come back and they would do it the next year and they would do it the next year and the year after that and the year after that. Well, the thing about rituals is that we can become really in love with the ritual, right? We can become in love with the ritual and forget what the ritual is pointing to. So for example, in our, in our context, baptism is a ritual, right? It's something that we do uh, on a regular basis. People come to be baptized. I have had people in the past come to me with a newborn child saying, um, we don't attend your church. We don't attend any church. Uh, we just want you to baptize our baby, would you please? And I have said to them, let's talk about it. <laughs> because you bring in your baby, to go through a ritual of baptism, but having no relationship with God and no desire to really bring your child up in in the knowledge of Christ, just to get them baptized, that's going through a ritual that has no meaning because the ritual points to a relationship with Christ. And if if you take that apart, if you take that away, then the ritual is meaningless. You're focused on the ritual and not the meaning of the ritual. Does that make sense? Do you understand? So in the same way, communion, right? Uh, Somebody could come to communion and say, oh, church is having communion this week. Well, I'm going to go because I feel really guilty about some stuff. So I'm going to go and I'm going to take communion and then I'm all good. I'll be fine, you know, because that's what communion is, right? It's just a way to, to make everything fine again. No, communion is a shadow of a reality. It's the shadow of Jesus giving his life for us, uh, dying for us, rising from the dead, and promising to come back. It's also a shadow of a, of a banquet that we will have with Jesus one day in heaven. Why? Because we have relationship with him. We will be in heaven with him and we will all sit down and we will eat meal together. The, the, the act of communion has no meaning without the relationship with Christ. See, we get love with me. So Sabbath is another one. Some people make a big deal. Some Christians make a big deal out of Sabbath. Well, you got to keep the Sabbath. You got to keep the Sabbath, right? And you got to do things and you got, don't do other things because you got to keep the Sabbath. You know what the Bible says about the Sabbath? I'll read it to you. Colossians 2, verse 16. Paul says, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. You do not have to keep a Sabbath, okay? We don't have to keep a Sabbath as Christians. The Sabbath pointed to the rest that God was offering to us that came to reality in Jesus Christ. Make sense, right? So when we get hung, you know, this is what the argument that Jesus had with, with the Pharisees all the time. Well, you know, you can't heal people on the Sabbath because we just don't do that. And Jesus says, the Sabbath was made for people, right? So he said, you know, of course you can heal people on the Sabbath, right? God would want them healed and it happens to be the Sabbath and I'm gonna heal people if I want to, right? Because the Sabbath was a shadow of Jesus coming and offering rest and, and healing and everything that God has for us. Okay, so we can, you get the idea. We can become too enamored of the ritual and forget what the ritual is pointing to. Let me make my, my next point. Rituals cannot remove sin and guilt, but Christ can, because he gave himself as the once for all perfect sacrifice for sin, okay? You know, in a way, the Day of Atonement was kind of like the myth of Sisyphus. You know, remember the myth of Sisyphus? Sisyphus was the, he was being punished by, uh, I think it was Hades, the Greek god Hades in the story, and, and his punishment was to roll a boulder up a hill, get it to the top of the hill. The problem was every time he got within reach of the top of the hill, the boulder would roll down to the bottom of the hill and he'd have to go back down and roll it up again. And this was his punishment. He was to do this for eternity over and over again, roll the boulder up. And that's a lot of us are trying to do that. You know, well, if I've I just got to be good enough. I got to be good enough and then God will be happy with me and everything will be fine. I just got to, I got to get, you know, I got to change this, change that, make a new habit here, do this, read more Bible, pray more. And then every, and that's all rolling the boulder up. Well, the Day of Atonement can be like that, right? You, you, the Day of Atonement, okay, we, we got there. We, you know, we're almost free of our sin. But what happens when the Day of Atonement is, is over, when the ritual is over, and the worshiper goes home and begins yelling at his spouse, right? or lusting after the neighbor, right? or wishing that his enemy would get run over by a chariot? Now, all, all of this, all that sin that was supposedly taken away right, in the Day of Atonement ritual, it's all back. The guilt is still there. The the Day of Atonement couldn't remove the sense of, I'm just not a good person. I'm just not a perfect person. How can God love me when I've got this sinfulness in me and it's not taken away in this ritual? Well, it can't be taken away in the ritual, but it can be taken away by the one the ritual points to, and that's Jesus, right? Jesus came as the once for all, perfect sacrifice for sin. You know, guilt is a a terrible thing, and and a lot of people carry an unnecessary burden of guilt. Maybe you do. You know, you feel guilty about everything. Everything. You feel everything is your responsibility, and and you just feel bad, and you feel guilty, and you carry this guilt around, and that's unnecessary. There's a lot of unnecessary guilt that we just need to be, we need to let go of, right? But But the response to that is not what Some people do, which is to say, well, I'm not going to feel guilty about anything, right? I'm going to, you know, I live my life. Don't you judge me. You know, I do what I want. We live in a free country and I make up the rules for me. And it's good because I can do that, right? And you can, you can make up the rules for you, right? God will judge eventually, but we can live that way. We can live, well, I'm not going to feel guilty. I'm not going to feel bad about anything at all. Well, Christians don't do either of those things, right? We don't, we don't need to saddle ourselves with unnecessary guilt, and we don't try to get rid of guilt. We recognize there are things that we are guilty for. When we sin, when we break God's commandments, when we act in a way that is opposed to what God desires for us, we ought to feel guilty because that is God's gift to us, pointing us to the need to confess our sin, repent of it, and embrace the forgiveness that is ours in Christ. But then we don't need to carry guilt around, right? I've confessed my sin. I've received that repentance and forgiven. I've I've repented and I've received the forgiveness. I don't need to carry around this baggage of guilt. Jesus came as a once for all sacrifice to free me from that. You see, the author of Hebrews says the ritual at the day of atonement couldn't do that. Couldn't remove the sense of guilt from people. But the love of Christ can if we will receive that. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. An animal can't substitute for us, right, as human beings. But Jesus, as a human being, could, right? Jesus offered himself. He was a perfect sacrifice. He had no sin. He didn't, you know, The high priest had to go into the the Holy of Holies twice. He had to go in once to offer uh, uh, atonement for his own sin. And then he had to go back to offer atonement for the sins of the people. Jesus went in once for all because he had no, he didn't have to make an offering for himself. He was free of sin. His offering was completely and fully for all of us. He gave himself so that we could be free of the guilt of sin. You know, on the cross, uh, Jesus, uh, when he was dying, he, he uttered that phrase, it is finished. In Greek, it's the word tetelestai. And I read something interesting, I didn't know this before. Tetelestai uh, is a word, when, if you were arrested in Roman culture and put into prison for a crime you committed, uh, they would put a sheet of paper over your cell door and it would list the crimes, the reasons you're in, in prison. And when you had served your time, someone would come, perhaps the judge, and would write tetelestai over that paper, meaning it is finished, your sentence is finished. It's done. Your, your certificate of debt has been uh, fulfilled. You're free to go. You're not guilty any longer. That's all that was, all of that was included in what Jesus was saying when he said, tetelestai. The, the certificate of debt that we have, that God holds because we are indebted to him due to our sin, tetelestai. It's done. It's over. You don't, it, it's ripped up. <laughs> God doesn't hold that against you anymore. You're free to go and not be concerned about your sin because Jesus has paid for that. It's like the cell door of guilt has been opened up and and Jesus is reaching a hand through and he's saying, I paid it, come on out. Leave your cell of guilt and come with me. Here's the next point. When we unite ourselves with Christ by faith, we are made perfect forever while we are being made holy. Let me read Hebrews 10, verse 14. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, This is the the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Here's a truth that I think we really struggle to get. (laughs) When you put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you're forgiven. And God looks at you as if you're perfect, complete and whole, without sin. That's how God looks at you. The reality is, and we all know it, we still struggle with sin. So the author of Hebrews says, God looks at you as perfect, and he is in the process, through Christ, of making you perfect. It's like this. Um, When I went to seminary, Northeastern, over here at Roberts, uh, to get my master's in divinity, I learned a lot about being a pastor. And then I graduated, and then I was offered a position here at Northgate, and I was given the, a role as pastor. And people started to call me Pastor Vern, which is a really weird thing, I gotta tell you. When people start going to job, people start calling you pastor, it's like, who, who are you talking about? You can't be talking about me, right? Because I knew, I don't know if I'm a pastor yet, right? I mean, I'm being given the title, I'm being given the position, but in practice, I don't know if I'm a pastor. 20 years later, I think I've learned a lot about pastoring, and and I accept that. I still got more to learn and and ways to grow. But you see how I have become, in practice, what I was given in position. And this is what happens in our Christian walk. When we give our faith to, to, when we put our faith in Christ in position, we are perfect and, and whole and complete. And now God is making us perfect and whole and complete. He is making in practice what we already are, in his eyes, by position. You know, there's a, uh, uh, God said, or the the author of Hebrews says that um, when God forgives us, he forgives us entirely, right? He says, I will remember their sins and lawless acts no more, no more, through Christ. There's a really, I I just mentioned it briefly, there's a great point of application for us as Christians. Um, If we are following Jesus Christ, uh, when people confess their sin to us, ask for forgiveness and receive it, right? When they atone, we should remember their sins how long? No more, right? Means we don't bring up stuff that's already been dealt with. We don't nag people about things that they did in the past when those have already been brought out and forgiven. That's how God treats us. And we should probably do the same. Okay, so we are becoming in practice what we are by position. All of that because Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, offered his body in willful obedience to God for us. That willful obedience part is important because what that reflects is the the relationship that Jesus had with the Father. You see, God doesn't really care how many offerings we bring to him whether it's an offering of money or an offering of time you know bible reading prayer whatever he doesn't care about any of that if there's no relationship as i said before what jesus gave was that he gave himself yes but why out of willful obedience to the father out of relationship he he came to do god's will and it was the relationship that mattered just as it matters between us and God certainly bring your offerings. certainly spend time in prayer certainly read the Bible but do all of that because you want a relationship that's strong and healthy and close with the God who loves you that's what brings pleasure to God's heart Well, I need to wrap this up and and I'll do that just by mentioning a couple points of application that come after all this theology in Hebrews 10. It goes on to say, uh, draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance that faith brings. You see, this is the point. This is what the author of Hebrews wants everyone to understand. You can come close to God. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be concerned that you're not worthy. You're not good enough. Your sin gets in the way. Through Christ, You can draw right up close to God. He's inviting you to do so. Come with sincerity. Come with a sincere heart. Don't try to play games with God. He's way too smart for that, okay? But you come with sincerity, seeking him, and he will receive you. And come with assurance. Come with assurance. Your sins are forgiven through Christ. You don't have to carry them around any longer. And God is not holding them against you. The author goes on in verse 23, hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. God is not going to fail you. He will not fail you. You follow Christ. He will be there for you doesn't mean everything's going to go just the way you want it to all the time and all perfectly and all sweet but God will not fail you and these Christians these Hebrew Christians that the author is really concerned about that 2,000 years ago they were in danger of leaving Christ to go back to their rituals and he's saying don't do it don't do it God is still here for you and then the third point of application I'll, I'll leave you with this it says consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds there are moments my faith is going to be weakened, or I'm going to struggle with a doubt, or something, depression, or something's going to get into me and, and my soul, and, and it's going to be attacking. And I'm going to need your faith to keep me strong. And there are going to be times you're going to need my faith to keep you strong. So we cannot stop meeting together. People online, we're glad that we offer that option but we hope that you come in person when you can. We need this. We need to be in fellowship and community with each other. We need to encourage one another. We need to meet together regularly. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this teaching from Hebrews and and there's so much there and so much for us to consider, but but we get the main point that um, Jesus is the one we need to look to for forgiveness, for mercy, for relationship with you, and that we can, through Christ, be free of guilt and free of sin. Uh, Some of us are gonna really struggle to to take that to heart, Lord, so I pray that you you make that happen for anyone who's wrestling with it today. And for those who have have received that message and, and know it to be true, keep our faith strong, keep our hope in you strong and keep us strong as community so that we can glorify you in all that we do and praise your name. Jesus, we offer this in your name. Amen. Let me ask you a question. Which of these motivates change in you to a greater degree? Someone who constantly reminds you of your failures, threatens to withhold love from you and does nothing to help you or someone who accepts your apologies, forgets about the wrongs you've done, offers their help to you, and would give their life to save yours. Jesus accepts you in spite of your failures. He does not berate you over your sins. He offers to help you change to be the person you'd like to be, and he gave his life to make that happen. He's unlocked the cell door of guilt and sin, and he's extending a hand, and he's inviting you to take it, and to let him lead you out. If you've never taken the hand of Christ, I want to invite you to pray with me right now. Let's pray. Lord, I'm tired of this sin-filled life. I believe you can set me free of it by what you did on that cross. And I believe that your resurrection is the proof that I can have new life too. I'm taking your hand today I'm asking you to help me live my life for you. I pray this in your name. Amen. If you prayed that for the first time, or if you need any, any help at all with your walk with Christ, Pastor John's here, I'm here, we would love, Pastor D.L.'s over here, love to talk with you. Uh, please let us know. The takeaway today is this, let us hold on swervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And is. Go in the love of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: Thank you everyone for tuning in and being part of the Northgate Podcast today. Your support and engagement have truly been incredible. If you like what you hear, then please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Northgate Podcast. It's your enthusiasm and continued support that keeps us motivated and inspired to creating meaningful content that resonates with our listeners. So, thanks again.